James. James, did you hear that? My laptop fan? No, it's for sound. Of oh, colour. It doesn't have a sound. <laughs> oh, it doesn't have a sound. Hello and welcome to Into the Black Archive. The podcast this has we're... a sound. The podcast where we're going through all the old Doctor Who episodes. And this episode is a special one. We have got full HD colour. Which you shouldn't get used to because this is the only HD Doctor Who episode, I think, until, well, if we're not counting the movie, until Planet of the Dead in 2009. So just 39 more years of Doctor Who creation to go before we get back to this high-end picture quality. Whoop, whoop. So we are watching. We we have watched even. Yes, we've already been through it. We we do this in advance. Would you believe we don't do we don't just guess. <laughs> so we have been watching Spearmint in space, Spearhead in space. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't don't you just? I I still remember when John Pertwee gets out of the TARDIS and he advertises those Spearmints. I can't believe that they put product placement in the show back then. Oh, I'm, goodness. I'm glad you approve of my joke. That's wonderful. Uh, it's, it's Spearhead from Space. It's the first... It is a lot of firsts. First colour episode, as we've discussed. First HD episode, although that came later, because that was a retro thing, because they shot this on film. Fun fact. Ooh. First Doctor Who episode of the 1970s. Which, which means we've, we've beat the 60s in black and white down, and, and we're moving into an entirely new decade. Ooh. which is pretty exciting. And probably more importantly, the first John Pertwee Doctor story. Ooh. Lots of oohs, aren't there? And did, did, it's did... only four parts. <laughs> and you know what else it is? Mm. First for a new companion. Ooh. Yes. And it's the reintroduction of someone we like very, very much from a few episodes we've seen already. Ooh. So, with as many oohs as you can, Owen, would you like to provide a very quick synopsis of Spearhead from Space? I mean, it's only four parts, so in reality, it's quite, it's like a bite-sized episode in comparison to what, like, the War Games, the last one we did was 10. Before we go into that, I just want to say something. I have Mm. never felt more, what's the word, clarified about what we've been saying. We've always said, which were four-parters, are the better ones. Yes. And we've just had to come off a bank of really long ones, which have all been very boring, and we're not, we haven't particularly liked them, with the exception of the war games. And my God, is this a breath of fresh air. It's it's a totally new show, but that was that was the intention of all of this, because if you don't know, Spearhead from Space is pretty much the kickoff of a new Doctor Who era. We've had the initial series with Hartnell and Troughton, but now, after the events of the war games, the Doctor is stranded on Earth, TARDIS doesn't work. He's got a new face. He's stuck somewhere in London, and all he's got is Unit to help him, or him to help Unit, whichever one you want to go through. And we're going to be doing this template for a few years, so we might as well get used to it. Yes. So how does this all begin? So we first of all, we start off with asteroids coming towards Earth. But are they normal asteroids? This sure thinks they are our new companion, but the Brigadier has some questions. 
But first of all, we've got to we get introduced to the new doctor as he falls face first out of the TARDIS and taken to a hospital where the doctor is puzzled about the doctor's slightly odd physiology. Or phys- <laughs> physiology. <laughs> you Thank mean. you. Um, going Some so of these well. words today. Um, <laughs> um, but then eventually if the doctor wakes up, this shore is introduced for the doctor. We go away and look at these asteroids. We prod them, we poke them, we go to a toy factory to work out what is going on with plastic? The plastic is going a little bit weird. And then the plastic comes alive, and then the doctor solves for the day, saves the day. All while learning who he now is, and picking up some clothes that he quote-unquote borrowed from a man who might have, may or not been dying. No, he wasn't dying. It was the... It, well, the cloak, was that, well, it was cloak, out of the hospital cloakroom, wasn't it? So you, so you never really know. Well, the cloak came from the... I think the person who's put up as being the boss of the hospital. All right, that's fair enough. And then he also steals that guy's car. Yes, but I agree with that because eat the rich. And the doctor doesn't believe in money. So um, (laughs) hail to this comrade. (sighs) Before we get on to the story. He literally rejects money at the end. It's a proper, it's a very communist thing. (laughs) Before we get into the nitty gritty of the story, let's discuss the production of this episode because it's interesting. Mm, yeah, there's a lot of. This is definitely one of the more unique productions. As I mean, I know a bit of it, but I know Owen knows a lot of it as he's already introduced the section. So we've just we've we've hinted a few times already, which this is a HD episode. But why? But dear audience, how? Why? Where? And when? Well, where in London, one set of Doctor Who, when, whenever they filmed this. But the real reason why is because of strikes. So we've talked about previously on this episode about the strikes around the introduction of colour, which led to all sorts of different things. ITV went on a black and white strike where the um, technical teams refused to interact with colour because, quite frankly, back then, Colour involved a lot more technical skills. So these people felt they were earned more money. So they went on strike and all of the the camera people in the studios refused to use their cameras. So what did the director do, James? Did he rest on his laurels and just say, right, we're going to have to put this off? Or did he adapt? Oh, he adapted. So he went, screw it. If I, I can't use my videotape cameras... I will use, gets a film crew in, like proper film, and film it on that, which explains why this cam- this is in HD, because you can upscale film. You cannot upscale, well, not very well, up to te- upscale um, videotape. If you want a very good explanation of this, I recommend you go to watch Tom Scott's video about music videos being turned to HD. It's a very, very good video, to be honest. Yes, well, just check out all the Tom Scott videos. Hundreds of things you may not have known. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it's a whole brand. Yes, this one is shot on film, and you can tell straight away with Spearhead that there felt like there was more of an effort on getting this one right because they understood mm. that this was the kickoff for what was going to come over the next, really, three or four years of Doctor Who. It was going to ride on this episode's quality. Yeah. 
And truth be told, it's a pretty good start. Yeah, so let's go into this quality then. Shall we start off with our characters? Yes, and it's all it's all new characters because th- this ish. There's one that we know really, but other than that, it's fairly new. Um, shall we start off then with with the obvious, which is the new third Doctor, number three now. Of yes, millions, according to Chris Chibnall, so will never end. He's a lot more eccentric. He's he acts a lot younger than even Troughton did. He's very energetic. And he's slightly insane. Mm. And it's wonderful. I love him. Yes, it's it's a great start. Um, it's what I've liked about doing this podcast and following Doctor to Doctor to Doctor now is seeing how quick the changes come and the difference in approach and and Pertwee just takes it into like I was saying like a younger place mm. where I mean this is relative to the fact that. Only a few series ago, we had William Hartnell looking like he was on his last legs doing this role. Pertwee looks like he could be essentially an action hero. He's like the, he's like the Tom Cruise of Doctor Who, really. He's, and he does. he's jumping about. <laughs> and he does, in later episodes, start fighting properly. Yeah. Which we don't really see him beforehand. This is a serious action man, but he's also got the wise old head. It's a it's an interesting blend. Mm. Um, I feel like it's Pertwee's Doctor is... I think equal parts Pertwee wanting to be different, equal parts the BBC wanting the Doctor to be more heroic, quote unquote, and a bit more grounded and realistic as opposed to the wise old scholar thing they'd gone for in the in the first six series. I mean, I'd say Troughton was kind of leading that way a little bit. Obviously, he was a bit more involved in the action, but this takes it to another level. Yeah, previously we've always felt which the companions are there to do the action, whether it be Ben, whether it be... Jamie, whether it be Stephen or whether it be Ian, we've always felt which the action is passed over to the companion to worry about. And also Zoe. I forgot Zoe. Zoe did lots of action. Yeah, Zoe did do a bunch of action. I miss Zoe already. And so this is now for Doctor Zone. So did you like Pertwee then? Yeah. Yeah, I really did. Um, the start, the start is just right in that place of he's still very trouty, especially when he wakes up in the hospital bed. And then as the episodes progress, you just start to see him take shape, whether that's through the, the clothes he picks out of the hospital room, the almost flirtatious, and it really is, it's an almost flirtatious um, link between him and Liz Shaw. And, and he sort of talks with the Brigadier from Knowledge. So there's a nice blend of the old Doctor Who that we liked and also this new stuff. And it feels like it's a good bridge between two things and it's leading into a new path without losing sight of what made it good. So you mentioned the new companion there, Liz Shaw. Liz Shaw. This episode, I don't think, is the greatest start for her because there was so much focus on getting Pertwee right. But I think Liz Shaw was, was a secondary concern. Yeah. But what you can tell already is that she's very much more on the Zoe side of the companions than, say, the Dodo side. Yeah, she she is set up as being a scientist. She knows her stuff. Mm. And she's brought in initially, before the dogs gets in, to help Unit solve this problem. And it's quite nice to have an actively intelligent companion. Yeah. What I, what I like about the way Liz has come in is that she's able to hold her own in pretty much any situation. She's not afraid to speak her mind. 
and you never feel like she's a passenger in the story. I mean, we if you've listened to this podcast before, and we have done a few episodes now, you'll know that we go on and on and on about the fact that the female companions in Doctor Who up to this point have never really had a lot to do. Zoe's probably the most active companion we've maybe had. That's Barbara. Yeah, Barbara as well. But I think I think Zoe was definitely pitched as being, I'm really intelligent. But that was always the pitch with Zoe. Whereas Barbara was just active because she was written very well. This feels like a bit more of a shift. Liz feels like a, what's the right word? Driven, determinated, strong-willed character. Mm. And her, um, like I was saying before, her relationship with the Doctor is probably different to what we've seen before. It's, it is almost perfectly being a ladies' man. Like they really are making it's, the Doctor like a 70s crime action thriller protagonist. It's, it's an odd change, isn't it? Because particularly with female characters in terms of their relationship with the Doctor, it's very much always been um, sort of like a father figure or yeah, an very uncle paternal. figure. But this is a lot more of a colleague, I feel like, a lot more of a colleague yeah. relationship. Well, realistically, with Doctor Who being essentially stranded to unit stories now, it is a workplace sitcom. Yeah. The, the, the setup for this is essentially Brooklyn Nine-Nine, <laughs> but, but um, you know, with slightly more aliens. In truth, it's, it's a lot like what was really popular on British television at the time or was going to be in the next few years, which was police procedural dramas. You know, they're solving a case. They have roles in a team. They have to work together to solve the case. There's a mystery to figure out. And yes, okay, it's not like they were all serialized. Uh, shows like The Sweeney definitely weren't serialized. But it's heading in the more of a direction that you'd associate with British TV at that time. Yeah. There was a sense that it, maybe the BBC wanted it to be a bit more up with the times and it needed a fresh lick of paint. And yeah, everything feels very, very different, but not too different where you've lost sight of it. So we've been talking about the differences. Let's talk about something which is the same. Everyone's favourite, Lethbridge Stewart. Kate? Alistair Lethbridge Stewart, what? I like Kate. But she's not Lethbridge Stewart, she's just Stewart. No, I know she's just Stewart, but it's it's a descendancy. You, have to, you can let it go. But she wasn't in this episode. <sighs> Don't kill my... Anyway, to be honest, they're probably just going to make her a sideman by the end of the year. Uh, from the rumours. <laughs> yes, Alistair. Thank the Lord God someone at the BBC figured out that Doctor Who would be a lot better if Lethbridge Stewart was in it every week. Yeah. Because, God, from the moment Nicholas Courtney arrives, there is an energy to every scene... He's the, he is the exact same character we met, and that's not a bad thing. He's everything you wanted him to be. He's everything you expected him to be. And now he gets the opportunity to be more at home. This is more of his terrain, and now he gets to teach the Doctor rather than what it's been before. The thing which I like about Leprosture is that he gets the level right between being a little bit dumb mm. and but also being able to go up to the Doctor's level. Yeah, it is an odd way to way to do it because he acts very dismissive of everything the Doctor says, but then very quickly catches up and goes, "Right, you've been right before. I'm going to trust you again." Mm. And 
he never quite wavers from that, but it's very nice to have that. We don't spend ages waiting for him to trust the Doctor. But it's also not done dismissively to a point where we just start to go, what, 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 what's the point of this discussion? It's, it is a bit like Liz in the sense that it's a colleague's relationship now. They're, they mm. both have the same goals, but because they have such different backgrounds and such different approaches, there are major differences between them. And one of them ends up having to reconcile the differences. And there's going to be plenty of stories where it's going to go the other way. And Lethbridge-Stewart actually probably had the best approach. Yeah. And, and that's what you want to see. That's just a good natural relationship between two different people trying to work on common ground. And the the way Courtney is able to play that friendship with the Doctor, and it is a friendship now, I I think is better than anyone else has played alongside that character. Yeah. It's always felt natural and it just gets better with each story. Like you can tell there's a history there with everything. It's well written. Uh, Robert Holmes wrote this, who is one of the best Doctor Who writers, probably. Mm. And yeah, there's a real quality to all of the scenes. You feel like these characters are very lived in, which is a big benefit. Yeah. Because this is a completely different way of doing Doctor Who. Did you think it worked? I think I think the jury is still out. I think in this episode, yes. Mm-hmm. It made sense to have it there. But it will the further we go will be the question of how, how imaginative the show becomes. Because it can become I mean, we've seen it already when they've had all the different planets they can go to. The show is notorious for getting stale after a first season and a bit with a Doctor. Yeah. And it'd be interesting how they manage that, particularly because the seasons are shorter, but Pertwee's here for four seasons. Yes. Which would be an interesting way to see how it goes. I think... In a weird way, I actually feel that putting the Doctor on Earth and leaving him there is actually going to inspire more creativity than having the Universal Sandbox. Because when you have more limits when you're creating, I think you actually create better things. Mm. If you have to, if you have to work within um, tighter or more stringent constraints, that's where the real creativity comes in writing. At least from when I've done it when you give yourself rules to follow. So hopefully this is going to lead to some really inventive stories that maybe we haven't seen on who before because of the constraints. Yeah. So let's you know, we can't this. just use time travel now. So let's look into this story. What did you think of it? It is very solid, very fast paced and gets the job done efficiently because it's there to introduce Pertwee and it's there to introduce the new dynamics. You yeah. know, the story is effective. It's not changing the wheel or anything. There is a plot foot. There is an alien race trying to take over. And, um, well, that alien race, <laughs> that alien race is one that we've only seen. Am I right in saying that we've only seen them in two Doctor Who stories with this one being included? No. Oh, no, they're in another False. one, aren't they? Lies. They're Smatter. in three. They're in three because there's the two, there's the two with Pertwee, and then there is the other one, which you know what with, I'm referring to. With Eccleston. Yeah, we've got this one. This season starts with one, and next season starts with them coming back for nesting yes. consciousness. Yes. So um it is the Autons, folks. And the the fun fact about the Autons, which I was trying to cross-reference there, is they've only ever been used to start series. Yeah. And 
if you if you didn't think Russell T Davies had watched Classic Who, or if you hadn't watched Classic Who before, and you go back and watch Rose after watching Spearhead from Space, they are terrifyingly similar episodes. It is almost the same plot. I wouldn't quite go that far, but there are similarities. There's, uh, you can tell it's it's indebted to Spearhead yeah, from Space. De- you've definitely got set pieces which, when you're sat there, you can go, yeah, I see where he got this idea from. Yeah, and then as well, these are more niche and a bit more subtle, but you can tell um, the 11th hour, the Moffat opener and the Matt Smith opener riffs off of Spearhead from Space a bit as well. Mm. Like, like the hospital setting is replicated, getting the clothes from the hospital is replicated. So all of the, the modern Who writers have looked at this episode and referenced it. It is probably seen as the classic who benchmark of that's how you introduce a new doctor yeah and set and it kind of sets up a lot of the the common language that doctor who has had now for the years it's been on yeah actually someone who i do want to discuss let's let's start at the beginning here quickly yeah back so, to for, the... so for doctor is brought into a hospital where he's being treated by a doctor Yes, because he's collapsed out of um, the TARDIS. He's going through regenerate, regenerative problems. Yeah. Um, the unit bring them to a hospital, and we come across this doctor, Dr. Henson. Can I just say, I wanted him to come in more. I heard- yeah, I thought he was really interesting in the first couple of episodes, but he, but he sort of gets dropped as we go along. Yeah. and it, but he, I really like the fact yeah. he just... Dr. Kind of- Henderson, actually, not Henson. Just had a little check. He, I really like how he just rolled with the punches. Of this is odd. Yeah, this is wrong. This is uh, wrong. I guess I'll go with it then. And it, it, my favorite part was when when Leftbridge goes to him. Can I take him to unit? And he goes, I honestly don't know, but I wouldn't advise it. And I just love the fact that she just took everything. He just rolled with all the punches for Doctor being chucked. Yeah. His the 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 thing that United Henderson as a character was his goal was to take care of his patient, which yeah. is the doctor. He's a doctor. He takes care of his patient. That's his only priority. So he does whatever he thinks is best for the patient, regardless of how alien they are in, in this case. Just just a really decent character to be around and well thought out. And I think a lot of this episode's really well thought out. Mm. And and he's and he's one of the characters that is. Um the main thing that's going on in the first episode is this asteroids problem. Yes. Uh, there's an opening scene which it feels a little bit irrelevant. They could have cut it out, to be honest, of the uh, the couple of folks and the sort of looking at the scanners and seeing the, the meteorites information. Because oh, yeah. I think they could have they could have imparted that information later in a better way, and then had a bit more of a mystery to it. I feel like it's a nice way to introduce which unit is uh, which we're with unit for this episode. Yeah, true, but I think there's plenty of unit, so I don't think that was a concern. Yeah. Anyway, once once that's introduced, we realise that these are meteorites that are seemingly flying in formation, which is not what meteorites do. Mm. But all that's going on in the background, and it's only really in the second episode we start to see more of the plot, which revolves around the Autons. So while he's in for hospital, there's a kidnap attempt. <laughs> yes. Why, why, why is that funny, James? Do you disagree with me? No, I don't disagree with you. I just, I just think like the the general idea of it's quite funny. I love the fact which it, that is purely built of a mistake. Yeah, like there's no reason for it there, but they give him reason of 
is a mistake. So the nesting consciousness have got their main sort of helper. I don't know. Is he actually declared as being a part of consciousness or is he just someone who's been brainwashed? I, it's hard to know. I would say probably part of the consciousness if I had to read it, but I don't think it's ever made that formally clear because at this point, I don't really think they were talking about the nesting consciousness too much. And that wasn't no. more in their thinking than the autons themselves. So, this guy called Channing, who's working with finesting consciousness, we're not entirely sure how, but he is. He's in the hospital, and everyone's getting confused about what the doctor is. Um, the press will mm. come in. He's sat there going, there's something special about this doctor. And obviously, he thinks it must be the thing which we've dropped, which we're missing. So they go and kidnap him. So I just think that's an amazing way to introduce them, but also introduce them as a mistake rather mm. than doing something deliberate. Yes, it's it sort of makes it seem like there's not really too much of a plan there. Mm. But that kind of adds to the quality of it because in reality they're a bit desperate. Yeah. And that adds to their drive to, to actually get it right. And so they're actually a bit more difficult to deal with in some ways. Yes. And then we go, to, I think we go to the toy factory around here, don't we? Yeah, pr- pretty much. I mean, there's a whole thing where there's rumours about the asteroids left of sure has to fend off the press. We meet Liz because Liz is in to investigate this. She's um, an expert on the matter. So we're into episode two at this point, aren't we? Once the kidnappers happened. Yeah. Uh, there is there is the bit where uh, Henderson claims that the Doctor has self-induced a coma because he's in such a deep coma. <laughs> yes. That he couldn't possibly have just slipped in it on his own. And but another fun just, fact. That just shows, yeah. I think, the fact which he is just rolling with the punches. He said, go, fuck it, but that's the only explanation <laughs> I've got. Yeah, it's that's deep. <laughs> Based on my reading situation, it's definitely deeper than what I'm used to. Another fun fact, he is the first person, at least canonically, to identify the two hearts of the Doctor. There's another yep. first in, in yep. this episode. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's, two, it's double the hearts, double the sex appeal. That's what the BBC wanted. Yes. So, moving on. Yeah, so we go to the autoplastics factory at this point. Yeah, uh, so And can... that is a bizarre old sequence, the one where he goes in and talks to his managing partner. This is John Ransom, the salesman, and he goes and visits the business partner. And the partner has clearly had a run-in with the Autons because he's got a very different opinion on things. <laughs> he goes let's start production no leave <laughs> get out we're not doing that anymore the manager of this toy factory has been brainwashed yeah brainwashed from by the autons and this toy factory is important because this is where all the autons are being made but also for replicas of particular politicians and generals yes it's a it's a bizarre but genuinely quite clever attempt to replace all of the world's leaders and politicians with plastic people that are yeah. under the control of the Autons and you can destroy the world from the inside, as well as just having other Autons around anyway, I, which I'm, I feel kind of ruins the subtlety. Yeah, but to be fair, but, I don't think they were going to send out the Autons until the human, the, the fake humans had taken over. Yeah, so they I were going to... Get it to the point where everything was settled. Yeah, and I I just love the fact which the plan was to just store all the real humans 
of the Autons in some sort of like Madame Two Swords setting where the entire display is set up yeah. with just I'm, civil servants. I'm pretty sure it is Madame Two Swords even. I I, yeah. I I, I might be wrong about this, but I actually think it gets name dropped. I think this is Madame Two Swords that they've dropped it in, which is fantastic. I just love the idea of Madame Two Swords having a display full of just civil servants. Like, I like my politics. Yeah. But that is pushing it too far for me. Okay, imagine if you went to Madame Two Swords tomorrow. And you thought, oh, you know who I really want to see? Nadine Doris' waxwork. No, That's who I want to see. It's not even Nadine Doris, because she's a minister. It's yeah, a civil a servant. So it'd be like having Simon Case and Sue Gray. <laughs> yeah, Sue Gray. I'd have a statue of Sue Gray. And, she and deserves one. Random Ish. generals. And I'm just like, I love that idea. But essentially, they then go out to take over the world. The Doctor and Liz attempt to try to solve it. It's, it's hard to talk about this episode because it's really good, but there's not really anything which stands out. Yeah. It, like I was saying before, like, it's an effective story that's resolved in the proper way. In the end, the Doctor has a big confrontation with the Autons, figures out a way to get them done with. And yeah, because the main focus of the of the story, like I've been saying, is the characters and getting the actual setup done. Mm. Because a lot of the action, a lot of the tension for this episode comes from the fact that the Doctor wants nothing more than to get out. Yeah, he, he tries to escape at some point, doesn't he? He, tricks- well, he essentially flirts Liz out of giving him his key, tries to make a run for it, but then the TARDIS won't do what he wants. Did you notice a production mistake at this point? Was there a production mistake? Yeah, there's a um, crew member's foot, just the leg just sticking <laughs> out just behind the TARDIS. Oh, uh, well. As all the, all the smoke goes out. But essentially... Leprechaun is keeping the Doctor as captive. Doesn't want him to go away until this problem has been solved. And the Doctor's starting to go, I can't escape. I want to. But I can't. Hmm. And yeah, the issue with discussing this episode today is very good. But the first half it is spent us with the Doctor doing regeneration issues. And then the second half is for sort of action stuff, but it's not happening that fast. But yeah, we, it's a more there. conventional Doctor Who episode from then on. Yes, yeah. we're dealing with the threat, but but even that has its moments of excitement. Again, obviously, Rose takes this uh, pretty much ad nauseum and runs with it. We have Autons in shop fronts posing as mannequins, as window shop dummies. They come to life and start killing people in the streets of London. It, Rose does the exact same thing. We have military sequences. We have Leopard Stewart firing and making calls. So there's a lot going on to keep your interest. All the while, we're still trying to learn what Pertwee's doctor is like and how mm. he'll react in that situation. And that adds another layer of interest. What what else do you want to discuss before we get to the ending? Um, production values, like genuine yeah. production values. Regardless of the film, yeah. the shooting on location in this episode is very, very good. Like, it's, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because you kind of... When it comes into coming across from black and white to colour, you kind of expect the production values itself to be sort of similar, yeah. but with colour. But it feels like everything has changed. It feels like there's been like a 10-year gap between them. The difference is so stark. Yeah, it takes a serious step up. There's there's interesting camera work. There's great use of locations. You know, we're, we're going around in a whole bunch of places. We've got the hospital set. We've got the unit set. We have 
outside filming in the field in Essex. We have outside filming in streets of London. We have outside filming in all sorts of places. It, you know, there's a good six or seven locations that are used for on filming. They didn't mess around with this episode. No, and it shut and it adds to the story. It feels like there's more of a world going on outside the doors because we've always criticised so- episodes for that. It feels such more engaging because we constantly feel like we're being kept on our toes with where we're going. Yeah, and we're immersed. We're more immersed in the story and what they want to do. Yeah. Because we don't just have to deal with two or three locations, like in something like The Crotons, which is only a few episodes before, which has that problem and doesn't solve it. it. It's insane, isn't it? We had, we've, we've had some discussions about season four going to season five. But also season six and season seven, the jumps in quality between seasons is remarkable. Mm. Is amazing. And yeah, it's just not only is everyone getting more used to Doctor Who and what it is and what it can do, they're now figuring out production-wise what the best way to do it is. It was kind of a reboot in a production sense as well as a story sense. Like everything is different. This is almost an, an unrecognizable show. The only thing that links it in is the fact it it picks up where the previous show left off. There's a TARDIS. That's the only thing which carries across. Yeah, there's a TARDIS. The things that happened happened. So all that history is there. But we have essentially an alien who's stuck on Earth in a police procedural drama. Yes, and he's terrified of that prospect, but he knows he's resigned to it. So how how did you feel at which this story came to a close? That is a really good question. Uh, so pretty much um, the concept is getting the nesting consciousness down, isn't it? Which is, again, yeah. it's pretty much what Rose does. And then the Autons are like a hive mind without the consciousness. They can't function. Yeah, so if a Doctor makes a box, which is apparently going to like kill off an nesting consciousness... Essentially. It's a bit vague. It's sort of it's sort of implied that it's going to kind of short circuit it to some degree. Yeah. Did you feel like it worked this ending? It's fine. I, w- I wouldn't say anything more than that. It was effective in ending the story. I, a lot of Spearhead is not brilliant, like narrative wise, but it gets the job done effectively and it doesn't take too long in doing so. It, it's a very quick episode. It just goes. It feels very satisfying, doesn't it? When yeah. you get to the end of it, you feel like you've you've had a good episode, a good watch. Yeah, it's a it's a good story all round, and you know it, that's why an ending like that's earned. Also, I know there's a lot of criticism about episodes or sort of any story where you kill the the hive mind and everything else goes down. It's all really convenient. I mean, even Avengers Endgame does it. Um, personally, with the way they wrote the Ortons in, they actually made that make sense. Yeah, and so it was. It was written into the story why it would end like that. So I can't have too many criticisms of it. Although I admit I can't have like too much ebullient praise for it either. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I feel like they've worked out how to end it well. We've had so many episodes of the ending just falls flat. It isn't that story. It it feels satisfying that end, and it works. And it feels earned yeah. as well. Not only that, the ending's really good at wrapping up what we've just seen in a bow, but also giving you an idea, this is just the beginning, because now this team has formed, and now there will be a lot more to solve and a lot more to do. So you might as well stick around, because we have um, more and more episodes coming, because there's six parts galore coming up. 
Yeah, if we have got the Doctor Who and Slidorians coming up next, seven parts. Oh, seven glorious parts. And the Silurians being introduced. Who would have thought that 40 years later, one would be a lesbian? Yes. So, out of 10, James, what do you give it? I'm going to give this a pretty strong seven. I can't give it any higher because I don't think the story is anything more than just solid. But for what it does in terms of introducing the world, upping the production values, getting Pertwee involved, getting Liz in, returning Lethbridge Stewart, it does a lot of work in a little bit of time. It does it very effectively. So really solid. If the rest of the series is this good, it's going to be very, very decent. I'm going to give it one up i'm gonna give it an eight because i've watched it a few times now i've enjoyed watching it every time i have watched it which i yeah, don't feel I, like I admit, it's very rewatchable i don't think i could say the same about a lot of episodes including ones we've liked previously hmm. and i just watched this a few times now it just goes along doesn't it? it just it puts you into the seat and takes you on the roller coaster and it's like a it's just like a ride mm-hmm it's great. The pacing's really good, actually, I should say. The pacing feels dead on with this episode. Ah, oh, what the hell? I'll slide it up to an eight. The pacing's that good. <laughs> well, I'll slide it up. It's it's it is a very good episode. It's just the story isn't it's not reinventing the wheel or anything, or isn't particularly special. So with that twist towards the at the end of this podcast episode with James reconsidering his position, we bring this mess to an end if you enjoyed what you listened to please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a little review star rating or whatever it is your podcast provider does and if you would like to chat about doctor who with us or really anything anything doctor who related you can throw it our way on our twitter our ugh. I was going to say like Twitter archive because I was thinking black archive for the for the damn handle. <laughs> Our Twitter account is at black archive pod, which is all one word, obviously, and uh, lowercase. And you can email us as well if you prefer doing that or have something more to get off your chest, <laughs> which is blackarchivepod at gmail.com. No caps, no spaces. So thank you very much for listening and hope you have a good day. Yes, we'll be back uh, soon with... It's Silurians next, isn't it? Doctor Who and the Silurians. <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Who and the Silurians. I can't say the word properly, but fuck it. <laughs> Goodbye! <Silurians. laughs> See ya!